0: Call for Action presents Of Consuming Interest, a public service show that discusses scams, deceptive offers, and other consumer concerns. Here's the director of WJLA 7 Call for Action and your host, Shirley Rooker.
1: What's plastic? Is it a problem? Is it affecting your environment? Should we be concerned about it? Do we need to pass legislation to outlaw it? Well, we're going to get some answers and some very interesting uh, aspects of this whole issue. My guest today is Angela Logomassini. She is a senior fellow with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Angela, welcome to Of Consuming Interest.
0: Thank you you for having me on your show.
1: Now, this is a fact, I learned a lot. I have to tell you, I learned a lot reading your paper. And you're doing this in a series of papers on the entire environmental issue. First off, let's just start out about... Right now, I gather there is an anti-plastic movement that's to to outlaw plastics, but I don't. I'm not sure that people understand what that really means. Can you kind of give us a little bit of perspective on that?
0: Yes. Yeah, so I started writing these papers in response to legislation that's on the hill. I've been working on the issue for more than thirty years, plastics and solid waste management, and this. A piece of legislation that came out that is very very extreme it would basically force the plastics producers to um to to give the business of waste disposal and that's fine if they want to get into this in a private way to recycle and things of that nature but this um this program really is massive and bureaucratic and then and closer inspection it appears more designed to sort of end the plastics industry if you will they have provisions in there that could really just devastate the us plastics industry force us to go and get plastics overseas now the thing that's driving this is a real legitimate concern about you know litter and ocean pollution which is something we do need to address but this legislation is so extreme that it's not only going to fail to solve the problem it's going to create a whole host of new problems
1: well, one of the things that you wrote about that I found so interesting is that when you talked about before the advent of synthetic plastic or whatever you want to call it, the natural sources, resources that were being used to produce plastic products or, or similar to what we have now, I gather you, your, your contention is they were really adversely affecting the environment and um, animals as well.
0: Exactly. Um, So, again, I started this doing one paper, but then I decided I need to look in and look at the fundamental things as why we have plastics and why they're important. And the first paper looks at the impact that plastics have on wildlife, and people just assume that plastics are bad for wildlife, there are no benefits. And that's actually definitely not the case. Um, Initially, we used to source other products to meet the same type of needs for like a comb or a billiard ball. Or a whole wide range of jewelry products and, and other things that we, you know, we take for granted now that come in plastic, we had to source them from animals. So elephant tusks um, for ivory, tortoise tortoise shells, you know, all kinds of horns and hooks and hair and every and skin of different animals to meet all these needs, um, and that meant putting a lot of pressure on wildlife. And in fact, when the turn of the into the 20th century billiards became a very popular sport. And we were having some problems because, you know, ivory was the choice for billiard balls and there was no other really good alternative. And so there was a lot of pressure on elephant populations. And fortunately there were a lot of innovative people who were figuring out how to mix chemicals and come up with various substances. Um, The early ones were made with cellulose from plants um, but eventually, uh, they discovered a way to synthesize plastics from petroleum-based products, from the petrochemicals, the byproducts, in a sense, the waste um, from oil refining, gas refining, and mix those chemicals to make all these great plastic products.
1: So, that so we refers- were recycling uh, products that were going to be uh, not used. They, I mean, they were at the end of their destination, but then our scientists took them and recycled them and used them to make plastic
0: exactly so they basically took they made plastics out of almost nothing right so we had to go overseas to hunt down an elephant uh go find pull up turtles to make combs um and things of that nature and then ship it all the way across the world and hope the tusk was a good quality enough to make one billiard ball um it was a lot of pressure on wildlife a lot of energy and um effort and we were able to just mix a few chemicals that we really weren't you know, using or didn't have other uses for sure. it to make these products. And it really has done a tremendous uh, benefit to wildlife, just relieving the pressure for us to
1: harvest. From so that. we're not we're not killing animals in order to make these products because we're using synthetic products that are readily available. OK, right. one of the concerns has always been the amount of plastic in the ocean and that some countries uh, really are contributing heavily to the pollution of the oceans. Now, I was very interested in reading, and I've been looking at you know all and things that I use in my home, and, and a number of the products now are using what they call ocean-bound plastic. And that ocean-bound plastic is plastic that has been collected within 30 miles of going into the ocean and waterways and whatnot in countries that are less developed countries that are not recycling and using these products at all. And they're being reclaimed and used. And I mean, I was buying a product, a, a window cleaner, and it was talking about it was ocean bound plastic. And I didn't have any idea what that was. So I had to look it up to see what was going on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm, I mean, you know, this, this is one movement that's going on to help protect the environment. That's just a small part of it. But um it, it seems to me that there are initiatives that we can take to use and reutilize these products so that they're not contributing to waste. I mean, how do you address the issue of the waste in the oceans, for example?
0: Well, you really hit on a really important aspect, and that is cleaning up is one part of it. Um, of course, we don't want to let the waste get into the ocean. Um, and recycling is part of that. Industry itself is looking into doing a whole host of things to promote different types of recycling uh it's not easy to recycle old plastics back into their original products but they have developed processes where they can take the plastic turn it back into break it down its component parts turn it back into a fossil fuel byproduct uh, or an energy source they can make a new plastic with it or they can um use it for energy or other purposes so there's a lot of innovative stuff that's going on one of my big qualms with the legislation is it's going to put a halt to a lot of that innovative stuff. Um, they're going to set a one way, uh, one solution fits all approach that isn't going to work. They want every, say, every plastic bottle needs to be recycled back into a plastic bottle. It wouldn't count if they recycled the plastic bottle into carpet or they reprocessed it into fuel, which basically sets an impossible situation because you can only have so much recycled content in a product. And still have that product meet its purpose, and, sure, and to
1: have it hold together and, and be be effective,
0: and not yeah. contaminate food and things of that nature. So, you know, my point, one of the points of writing these papers is one to point the value of plastics, but also to promote innovative solutions that are finding to that to are the market clean. in the marketplace, the market
1: forces. Sure. So, Let's just take a brief pause here to uh, let our listeners know they're tuned into of consuming interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. You're tuned into Of Consuming Interest. My guest is Angela Logomassini. She is a senior fellow with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And we're talking about plastic and how it can be reused and what are the concerns and what is the potential impact of legislation that's being proposed that would really uh, stop producing synthetic plastics. And interesting, Angela, in reading your paper, um, how Natural resources were being used to produce uh, items that we now use that are made from plastic, and your talk about the environment and an, impact on animals. Okay, now we're going to talk about the impact on the environment. But if if we in the United States stop producing plastic, that doesn't mean the rest of the world is going to stop producing plastic, and we're going to probably go to China which doesn't have the same environmental standards that we do in terms of producing products. So aren't we shooting ourselves in the foot if we do that?
0: Absolutely. In fact, um, the energy usage, you you know, they want us to not just not produce it and get it from China, but they want us to use alternatives. And the environmental impacts, the alternatives can be much worse. For instance, if you consider the fact that A large chunk of our textile industry actually makes synthetic plastic synthetic textiles from plastics if we were to switch uh to going all to cloth and all to leather think about how all the automobiles you'd have to have leather instead of vinyl on the inside how many more cows we'd have to farm how much more land we'd have to take away from wildlife to do the farming um you know if we decided to go to rubber instead of uh, synthetic rubbers for our automobile tires uh, we'd have to have we'd have to source from plantations overseas and transport all that waste. Uh, I mean transport all of that uh, material all the way from, you know, Indonesia, all the way to the United States. It has to have huge plantations everywhere. So it, there are impacts. Um and then something as simple as a cotton bag. They've done life cycle studies showing how much more energy and water and other resources are necessary to pr- promote a to create a cotton bag for grocery shopping when the plastic bag, you know, is actually more efficient. Unless that cotton bag is used more than a thousand times, uh, you're not going to get any environmental benefits. So there are trade-offs with all these things.
1: And, and then, and the cotton bags, there's all concern about pollution, of carryover from one uh, load of groceries that you're carrying in it to the other. And do you really keep them washed and cleaned and the potential for getting uh germs illnesses yeah. transmitted is also there. That was there was a Canadian study i think that you're referring to that talked about paper bags and how much more water it requires to produce them. And we we don't think about that. What what what's going on? Why are we hearing such drastic measures and pro, pro, proposals coming out of congress rather than taking a close look at alternatives and addressing anything that may be an issue from what we're doing right now?
0: Yeah, some people might say that policymakers are just a bit naive and they don't understand what goes into the process of making products and, you know, the needs and the energy and the resources. I would suggest, though, that there's maybe a little more of a nefarious agenda behind it. I think it's because these are fossil fuel-based products, environmental groups, you know, believe that we need to go away from fossil fuels. So that's why they don't want us to do the advanced recycling, which could take a plastic and return it to its fossil fuel, um, original chemicals. So there's a different agenda that's pushing this. But I think most people want a reasonable policy. We want to make sure we protect the environment and prevent things from going into the ocean and also have valuable products that meet our needs in hospitals and in our homes and elsewhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, well, you talked about one of the things you talked about that I had no idea, talking about going from shellac to polyurethane to produce surfaces on furniture and all kinds of products. Talk about that a little bit. I thought that was fascinating.
0: Yeah, it really is fascinating. I found it fascinating, too, in my research that before we had synthetic um, wood finishes and we we would use... Uh, secretions of a little bug that lives in India and Asia in forests called the lac bug. And it secretes, basically it's a cocoon, but it's all over the branches, a sticky substance. And underneath there, the, the, the insect would uh, bear its offspring. The, the native people there would scrape this substance off the tree with the bugs and all and mix it in with some alcohol. And they would thin it out clean it out. It's a, it's a process. And then ship it overseas where people would use the shellac for a variety of things, including insulate wires and to refinish woods. Um, but to consider when, when woodworkers say it's much better to go to a natural uh, substance, just think of how many forests we would need of these bugs and how far people would have to travel. Certainly the energy the water usage, there are there are chemical byproducts and waste products as part of that product. Meanwhile, they can make polyurethane, again, synthesizing it with chemicals here at home. A much simpler thing and consider how much furniture and flooring and, you know, they filled a huge um, demand without all that excess um, impact on the environment. And you the know,
1: I'd never, I'd never thought about that. I mean, you know, you look at our furniture, you look at... What do you have on your deck? Probably furniture's got some polyurethane in it, um, floors, coverings, uh, all of those things. It's, it's a really fascinating subject, especially about the, the origin of shellac, yes. which I was completely uh, did not have any knowledge on until I until I read about this. Um, y- you also talked about going the if you had to go from leather and silk to to uh, vinyl and nylon. Mm-hmm. Um, the textile industry—you mentioned that briefly. Our clothes—I mean, how much of our clothing products have something that is the result of, of polyurethane? Uh,
0: flat, synthetic textiles, I think, are about sixty percent. Whoa! So, I mean, I have no problem about with people having silk or whatever, but if you try to fill the entire market with non synthetic products, we would have to plan every every bit of planet earth we wouldn't have room for forests and things of that nature so we all think renewable forests renewable resources are supposedly better but there are always impacts on the environment so we have to weigh the whole picture and allow a marketplace to sort of find the right mix
1: and at the same time being conscious of issues of pollution and taking, uh, taking care of this. Let's just uh, take a brief pause here and let our listeners know they're tuned into of consuming interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. You're listening to of Consuming Interest. My guest is Angela Logomassini. She's a senior fellow with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And we're talking about some of the uses of plastic and what the potential impact of a legislation that's being proposed on the Hill right now that would bring to the way we live to our impact on our, actually, you're trying to protect the environment. It seems to me, um, Angela makes a case for if we do away with using plastics in our products, we're gonna go back to natural sources and really do more damage to the environment. And I wanna go back in just a minute and touch on the whole issue of bags, a paper versus plastic bags. And I, I found that that was a very interesting study that was done, um, I believe it was a Canadian study that said that that you use less energy Um, to use polyurethane plastic bags in groceries shopping, 71% less energy than if you use paper bags. And as you mentioned earlier, the whole issue of using the cotton bags, the amount of use they'd have to, how many times they'd have to be used, simply not practical. we're going to see that this impacting if we were to get you to rid of plastic, I guess the general term, is it okay to use the term plastic? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it would, it would seriously impact our economy. I would think the way we live, the vehicles we drive, the homes we live in and the clothes we wear.
0: Absolutely. In fact, I, in the second paper in my series that I'm working on, um, I highlight, you know, what would life be like? Would we have, cars with wood or metal tires that would you know, <laughs> recap it on the world. We wouldn't, we'd have internet service that wouldn't work most of the time. And you know, as plastics, uh, do you, do, and they do biograde, but degrade. So as they degraded and we didn't have replacements, we eventually would lose a lot of the things that we take advantage of or for granted like our computers and our telephones. None of these things are really possible without plastic products. So I, I know there are a lot of um, groups that say, well, we're not going after that. We just want to get rid of single-use plastics. And they even want to get rid of single-use plastics in hospitals. And the impact of that could be very devastating. We have a lot of diseases that go around hospitals, and including COVID. But there are others that you know have even higher death rates that we're having a hard time controlling. And if we went to reusable products instead of disposables, those things would get even farther out of control. There'd be a lot of loss of life. Um, So single-use plastics have a purpose. Um, Yes, we should manage them better, but we should not lose sight of what purposes they serve and how they enrich our lives.
1: Well, are there are there moves afoot to look at ways to manage these more? And well, it's like the thing that I cited earlier, the ocean bound plastics. It was an effort. And, and, you know, companies are using these. They get the plastics out of the ocean. They recycle them and they reuse them again. And I think that um, they talk about, you know, like some of the products were like 70 percent or something from ocean bound plastics that have been recovered from the ocean, um, put there by countries that don't seem to really care that much about what they're doing to the ocean and reused. And And to me, that's that's a very creative and, and uh, healthy, environmentally healthy way for us to look at these byproducts.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a challenge to get things out of the ocean, especially little teeny bits of plastics that are way off in the ocean. Um, there are groups that are pulling things out, uh, one of the biggest contributors to ocean pollution is actually about 50% is fishing nets and lines. And I do believe that the amount going in may be declining, but there's a lot in there. And these, this one group is going out and they're pulling stuff out of the ocean and they're trying to clean it. It's a challenge because you can impact wildlife when you start trolling things out of the ocean, uh, capture fish. And so they're, they, they have a big challenge ahead of them, but they're doing you know a great job at it. So I, I would say we should look at ways to encourage and empower those groups rather than to look at all these sort of false solutions and bans. If you can ban straws in the United States, it's going to have no impact on you know fishing nets and a lot of garbage that's coming in from China and overseas into these areas where they collect in the ocean. Empower those groups. One way, we maybe figure out a way to give them sort of, some sort of property rights so that they can kind of enforce and police that area and maybe have a little power to negotiate with uh, countries where they have rivers, you know, with trash flowing out, where they can get in there and at least clean it, and maybe encourage or pressure them to to clean up the raft.
1: So well, I think I think that um, I certainly learned a lot from reading what you had written, and I'm hoping that other people will read it. Tell them where they can find your information, Angela.
0: Yes, all the papers are being published at cei.org. Right now, there's one on the front page, but you can also just go to my bio and it will be listed there. Um, we'll be rolling out two more. First one was on what, how it impacts wildlife. The second one's on how plastics impact humanity. The third addresses the sort of the big problem and what we should do about it. And the last one, will look at that legislation on Capitol Hill and why it's so bad.
1: It's rather drastic, it sounds to me like. It would Absolutely. totally change the way we live. It if it, 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 if it, in the way that it's written right now, yeah,
0: exactly.
1: it's very extreme. Well, so go to cei.org. You're a nonprofit organization, and I I know that you all do a lot of research and publishes and, and things like that. So um, that's much appreciated. Any last thoughts? We've got a couple of minutes.
0: Well, I guess the, the thing to emphasize is, if you really want to resolve this problem. We need to stop looking at the hype. And trying to do the symbolic thing and really dig deep in what the problem is. And then we'll have a better idea how to solve
1: it. Well, I think we also need to look at what is the impact if we take hasty action. Exactly. To do something that's going to destroy our economy and yet not improve the world. Because we're going to be the only one, the only country that's doing this. And we're going to go to China to get the rest of our plastic. Exactly. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I'm hoping that somebody's listening to this that can make an impact on it. But um, but at any rate, it's something that as you say, we really need to study it closer and try to find better answers. Again, give your website.
0: Uh it's CEI.org. That's competitive enterprise institute, CEI.org.
1: Yep, and they've, you've got some very interesting, interesting articles on a variety of subjects. And you're not really political, you're really taking a look at impact of stuff on the environment. So anyway, Angela, thank you. It's been a real treat to talk with you. I look forward to following up on some of the other papers that you're writing. Um, makes a whole lot of sense to me, and I sure learned a lot. It's been great having you on. Um, anyway, you all have been listening to Of Consuming Interest. My guest has been Angela logo She is a senior fellow with the Competitive Enterprise Institute and she's taking an in-depth look at the poss- proposed legislation on Capitol Hill that would uh, totally change the way we're living in products that we're able to buy. So interesting folks, go to it, CEI.org is the website. I'm Shirley Rooker, thank you for joining us.